Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it's been quite a month here leading up to um, up to Thanksgiving. We got Turkey Week here. Yeah, what a what a fun week. I, this is just, I mean, the the Christmas music has been playing since November the first. WBBQ. <laughs> they start earlier every I'll year. I have to tell you, I've listened a little bit. Yeah, right. Not right. Well, day. I figured you were probably in a Christmas spirit now that yes. that Carolina showed up so unbelievably oh last goodness, week against man, Tennessee. That was, uh, just out of the blue. I mean, but, I was shocked. I was like, "What team is that?" <laughs> it's like, like the whole college football world was like, "Who, who is this?" I mean, y'all trounced Tennessee. Yeah, I was like, that, "That guy Rattler, your quarterback, he threw the best game I have ever seen." I mean, particularly from Carolina, but. Yeah. My so, goodness, it's 81%. So I shoot 85 to 90 in golf, probably closer to 90. It'd be like me going out there and, and, and shooting a 72. I mean, yeah. you'd look at me like, what yeah. happened? It was unbelievable. It was like a Joe Burrow reincarnated yeah. you know, at Carolina. Yeah, I mean, and your your receivers were catching everything you threw up, you know, and it was just, I was like, yeah, if they do that this week against Clemson, yeah, we are finished, you know, but. It's going to be a fun I'm, game. It's going to be count. played in the rain. Yeah, right. But well, that's good. That's yeah. probably good to neutralize that kind of yep. occurrence. In Georgia and, uh, and Georgia Tech play, I think Georgia is favored by a couple points there. Oh, yeah. Georgia's going to, so. they're going to pound Georgia Tech. Yeah. And, you know, Georgia deserves to be where they are because oh, they're, they're, they're fantastic. a fantastic team. Yep. And Clemson, Carolina, we're, we're both kind of tentative this mm. year. So anything could It'll happen. Be interesting, there. Yeah. Anything could happen. If that guy shows up, we're. We're yeah. going to be in trouble. Yeah. But otherwise, I think, hope he does. I think we'll get an edge on you. We'll see. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Yeah, speaking of interesting, gosh, there's a lot going on in the markets. You know, we've had a great six weeks of recovery in the markets, which were really, really needed. And, uh, you know, that's the that's markets march on. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, we're going to start off here talking about, what, the, the lessons from um, Warren, Warren Buffett. Buffett and Charlie Munger. Yeah, he. I don't <clears> know if you remember the um, – what was the commercial back in the 80s um, – when when um, somebody speaks, everybody listens. What, what yeah, was that? it was um, E.F. Hutton. E.F. Hutton. Yeah. Yes, yeah. so that's kind of why Warren Buffett, when he talks and yes. gives lessons, and his uh, partner uh, Charlie Munger, his business partner Charlie Munger, just smart guys. I mean, and this are. some of this advice is is timeless. And um, absolutely, so we're going to dive into that. There's eight lessons here we're going to look at. Yeah, that's great stuff. <clears throat> timeless, like you said, um, a lot of wisdom there. And then we're gonna we're gonna pivot to talk about the real estate market because. You know, there's quite a paradox going on in the real estate market right now that you may not have noticed. Everybody knows real estate slowed down some, you know, mortgage rates are a lot higher, but yep. you know, there's there's more than meets the eye to the real estate market, and it's surprising to me when I dug into the numbers. So, uh, this is a really good article very recently out of Reuters um, just this week, and so we're going to we're going to dive into that and talk about, you know, what do you do if you're in the market for buying or selling sure. a house. Yep. Um by the way, I am Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 27 years of experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 30 years. 
wow, you must be old. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're, we're both ticking on up there. <laughs> so we're excited to have you listen to us today in our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to all the podcasts, the historical ones. Um, also have some really good tools. If you've never visited the website, there's a little retirement planning uh, module in there. There's some information on college um, some budgeting worksheets out there. So go check that out. And also a Facebook page, MoneyMD is uh, the Facebook, and I did the prescription, uh, recorded it this morning. So check Excellent. that out. Fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, also check us on our website, MoneyMD.net. There's a lot of links there, a lot of information, as John mentioned. Um, you can also link to us and send us your questions, and we'd love to hear from you, and we will talk about those right here on the show. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Morningstar website. And, and Steve, I mean, if we, if we um, roll the tapes back to the beginning of the year, large growth, U.S. large growth had gone through a, an unprecedented, um, just uh, incredible returns for three years, 2019, 20, and 21. And, and these are estimates, but you know, if you had $100 invested, it went all the way up to 100 or 200. So it almost doubled in, in three years, just incredible. And you know what people do when that happens, right? They all they pile in, in mm-hmm. because Buy they're like, wow, high. I can make you know, 30 or 40% a year. Well, guess what? Large growth this year is down 39% as of November the 22nd. Ouch. And um, you know, so if you go from 100 to 200 and then you lose 40% of that, you're back down to 120 so you've gained almost in four years. very little for four <clears> years. Minimal <throat> amount. And so we see some stocks like Amazon and Tesla um, that are down 40, 50, 60%. And right. people's retirements have been ruined because of that, you know. And right. so, you know, we talk about diversification. There's a reason, um, you know, we recommend you diversify. When you get really narrow like that, I mean, these are the results that we see not only in this time, but if you go back and look at history as well. We see right. asset classes behaving very poorly for very long periods of time. So you just got to be really careful. Yeah, and I hate to say we told you so, but gosh, we did talk about growth stocks a lot we did. in the last couple of years when they were getting so expensive, so high. They were at the highest point in history relative to value, and people just wanted to keep piling up on those technology names that were out there that were so popular. And, you know, it's just very, very dangerous. I mean, you have to stay diversified. You have to have discipline. And you can't chase things to the sky here. And, uh, you know, small value stocks have, meanwhile, small value stocks are around a break even this year. Yes. They have actually fully recovered. Yes, that's amazing. It is amazing. So it just goes to show you, I mean, diversification really counts, makes a huge difference, particularly in down markets like this. And so you just got to, you got to stay disciplined. You cannot chase those expensive stocks because, you know, they. Comes back to bite you. Comes back to bite you <laughs> like they have. Same thing for goes to these other assets that we're getting ready to talk about here when yeah. we talk about uh, uh, Charlie Munger and, and Warren Buffett and their amazing wisdom over the years. Yeah, these guys are just incredible. I mean, they, <clears throat> from a business standpoint and in investing, I mean, when they talk, it's like EF Hutton, like you were mentioning. I, I for some reason, forgot that, but great commercial back in the 80s. But, you know, it's it's easy to make a list. I mean, there's a lot of lessons and, and words of wisdom. I mean, he puts things in his in their annual report that are usually pretty good. So we've narrowed it down to eight here. And 
And Steve, the first one is is really relevant. Um, you know, there's a cryptocurrency firm that just went bankrupt, uh, FTX, mm-hmm. and they lost eleven billion dollars of people's money. Yeah, and my um, so the first one kind of fits into that category a little bit from from Buffett and Munger. Absolutely, yeah. And it's be skeptical of exotic financial instruments. And gosh, that is so true. You know, and and we 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 do beat that drum you know, from time to time about that. I mean, Buffett and, and Munger, though, have been consistent critics of derivatives, you know, these catastrophe bonds, mm-hmm. um, cryptocurrencies and exchanges and, you know, NFTs and all the things that have been touted um, as new financial innovations. Um, you know, the way that they run Brookshire Hathaway reflects that prudence. You know, the company operates with very little debt and a large cushion of cash <clears throat> and investments. And, you know, one of my favorite Buffett quotes, <clears throat> um, which we've heard before, is, you know, if you've been playing poker for half an hour and you still don't know who the patsy is, <laughs> then you're the patsy. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it called <clears throat> the mark. If you don't know who the mark is, you're the mark, right? Yeah, yep. yeah no doubt. <laughs> They're <laughs> after you. They're after you. You're the one they want to take money from. Yeah, unfortunately, the financial industry is cock full of players, you know, chock full of players that are eager to induce you to play the game on their terms, always with a hefty entry fee attached, you know. And cryptocurrencies, exchanges like that, they have really proven the wisdom of, of this prudence this year. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's very relevant to today. Another one that's relevant is inflation is is real and you know until 2022 it's it's been easy to ignore inflation for about 40 years and but any student of um, Buffett's writings knows that inflation was a regular topic of his back in the 70s and 80s. And what he emphasized was is that it, it is difficult for companies, especially those that, that are most exposed to inflationary cost pressures. Um, to, to be able to battle that and earn good returns in periods of high inflation. So uh, he, he goes on to say very few companies, um, except those with you know, strong um, pricing power, can raise prices to offset the, the erosion of purchasing power. So I think he's a fan of <clears throat> you know, raising interest rates to get the inflation down because it does hurt businesses yeah, and the absolutely. economy as well. Yeah. So number three here, Steve, this is really interesting. Uh, We don't talk a lot about this, but this is so true. Mm -hmm. And it's volatility is not risk. And so, given the the writing, you know, they do a lot of uh, massive insurance policies as a part of um, their company. It's Berkshire Hathaway, and so it's no surprise that risk has really consumed a large part of Buffett and Munger's attention. And uh, they have a different um, conception of risk than academic finance. Because, um, you know, in academic finance, we look at um, what's called beta or sometimes standard deviation, right? right? <clears throat> how high it goes and how low it goes. Uh, financial academics um, like using volatility as a proxy for risk um, because it's easy to measure. But that has a perverse effect on implying that an asset becomes riskier when it drops in price. Um, and really, the exact opposite is how a rational person thinks. Typically, when a price drops, like we're in a down market now, you know, a lower price typically is good, but but risk, here's the kind of the takeaway risks, Buffett says, is the chance that you suffer a permanent loss of capital. Right. Right. So, right. I like so that. yeah, so volatility is inherent in the stock market. Um, and, you know, mar- things do go back down, but no one's, if you've been diversified historically, you've not lost all your money. 
That's right. right? So yeah. the stock market inherently does have risk, but long term, that risk has, has gone away, basically. Yeah, there's a lot of different measures of risk. <clears throat> Volatility, I would say, is one of them, but it's not the important one. Yeah. You know, the important one is risk, like he's talking about, risk that you lose money permanently, that like, you really lose money. Like FTX. Like FTX. <laughs> that's, that's risk. That was yeah. very risky. I mean, there's different levels of risk, like you said. That's a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And, the, you know, volatility is not that. I mean, what, what happens during down markets, that's an important part of risk, you yeah. know. But So anyway, very interesting. Another one, though, is uh, integrity made simple. Um, you know, Buffett famously said to his employees of Solomon Brothers when he stepped in to run the company in 1991, he said, lose money for the firm and I'll be understanding. Lose a shred of reputation for the firm, I'll be ruthless. <laughs> I, <laughs> I bet he can be. I bet he can be. And I, I agree with that. I think that's a great philosophy. You know, I mean, he also suggested that, you know, following this a simple guide as to behavior, you know, if you want to be well, if you would be comfortable having your actions described in detail in front of your local newspaper or your family and friends will read it, then go ahead and do it. Yeah. yeah. That was kind yeah. of his definition of integrity. Um, but yeah, I think those are wise words. I mean, integrity is, you know, being comfortable, you know, having your actions made public, basically. And uh, I, I think those are, that's, that's yeah. a wise thing to say. Absolutely. Another lesson here is he, he's an index fan. So he likes mutual funds. Uh, he, he says markets uh, may sometimes go haywire, but it's still mighty hard to outperform them. So when you look at, at history, most, most mutual fund companies don't beat their index. That's I mean, true. that's the stat. So back in 1991, index funds made up a tiny percentage of overall fund assets. Um, and things have changed. I mean, you know, one might think Buffett um, may have been among the detractors of index funds, but he has consistently heaped praise on index funds as, as a great way for most investors to gain access to the stock market, to get that diversification. And he's repeatedly singled out Bogle, who is associated with Vanguard, for launching that index revolution. So he's, right. he's a believer in the market and also, you know, index and mutual funds. Right. And I would agree index funds are good, and they're certainly better than what most people are doing. You can't improve on in index funds. You mm -hmm. can do better than that. But And, and, and certainly we, we aspire to that. But having said that, in, there's nothing wrong with index funds, and certainly they... Yeah. For the average investor that's doing it themselves, that's that's a good it's way. It's a reasonable to go. way. It's yeah. a reasonable way to go, absolutely. Yeah, next one here is in investing, it's okay to do nothing. Yeah, I like this one. You know, Buffett compared investing to a baseball hitter waiting for a fat pitch. You know, a nice straight ball right down the heart of the plate, right? <laughs> but unlike in baseball, when investing, you're not called out after three strikes. Mm -hmm. right? So if you miss three, you hit the corner of the plate, you're still okay in investing, you know. Um, so you can let as many pitches whiz past you as you want. You know, he says cash is a, is a good thing that can be used for emergencies to the buy markets when markets are low. So, yeah, in investing, I would say, in, unlike baseball and in investing, you win by not losing the game. Just by being in the game, you win. Yeah, and when it's, you know, some people feel like when it's down or they feel like there has to be activity. You don't always right. have to to take an action or take a step. Now, rebalancing is good. We talk about that periodically. But, you know, listening to the, the news media, they want you to trade in and trade out daily. And that yeah, exactly. just doesn't, doesn't like, work long term. Oh, it's so. going to be a bad month. They just think you should be in and out right. It's He makes a great point. Yep. And number seven here is um, just always always be learning, reading. They were big big readers, big big learners. You'd be amazed at how much uh, Warren read 
Um, his children used to laugh at him thinking he was a book with a couple of legs sticking out. So he was someone who, you know, got additional knowledge. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're a learner, right? I mean, cause right. we do try to provide educational topics, um, you know, of things that we see out there that are worthwhile and, and things that we, we see as, as real, um, uh, based from a history standpoint. So be learning. Dave Ramsey is another great absolutely. resource out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. And the last one here, <clears throat> or the next one, I should say, is um, is uh, markets are good, but they're not perfect. And so this author that wrote this, um, Haywood Kelly, he's a CFA, so Certified Financial Analyst, you know, obviously well studied. And he studied economics at the University of Chicago, <clears throat> and he started his professional career with a firm faith in the wisdom of the markets, which University of Chicago is kind of a bedrock of that type of philosophy <clears throat> with um, academia, with investing. He said his first job was analyzing Japanese stocks just as the bubble in Japanese assets, you know, started <clears throat> or was going on, arguably the most egregious asset bubble in history. Um, and it was bursting in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and it was an early lesson that sometimes markets go haywire or more precisely, the people who make up markets, they go haywire <laughs> yeah. and they come to believe that trees grow to the sky, <clears throat> you know, and it's it's uh, it's amusing, amusing how, you know, now to think about it, you know, but serious people back in the late 80s, early 90s, they concocted stories why price to earnings ratios of 80 or 90, <clears throat> you know, which were common at that time. Yeah. So now just to yeah. put perspective, S&P is. 17, 18 right. PE ratio. So 80 or 90 is like. Yeah, it's like the NASDAQ <clears throat> in 2000, you know. So Way another similar time when it just got so expensive. <clears throat> it was like Tesla two years ago was yep. just crazy prices. It's still expensive for that matter. Um, but, you know, they, they, they thought that was reasonable. And, and they were recommending 30 or 40% of a portfolio be allocated to Japanese stocks because that offered wow. the optimal mix of risk and reward. You know, and so there's these bubbles like that. And Buffett realized that while markets usually do a wonderful job of allocating capital, they're only as reliable as us imperfect humans in the market. So <laughs> yeah. you can't you can't follow the, the herd mm. off the cliff, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. He and he has another another lesson that's not on here, but um, buy when people when there's blood in the street is what they say. You know, yeah. when people are running, and then when everybody is is buying, that may be a good time to sell. So exactly, wise guy. He's um, a very very smart individual, and so good good lessons from uh, from Mr. Buffett, and Mr. Munger. Um, Absolutely, we're going to do the question of the week here. Yeah, right. I, I had this uh, this last week, and I know you've been asked this um, probably recently. And so if we're we're helping someone and they have an IRA account, <clears throat> and that IRA account is down because of the market. Right. Um, their question sometimes is, is, well, should I leave it in there until it recovers yep. before I ha have you manage it? And, and uh, you know, I, it basically is the answer that I give them is, well, you know, our accounts are down too uh, sure. with the markets, not as down as much as the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. But if you're moving it from low to low, the question is, is when it does recover, when the markets recover, which one is going to recover faster? That's right. And, and no one knows the exact answer to that, but that's the question you have to answer in your mind to do that, this gentleman was actually very heavy in large growth stocks. So he's obviously had a very, very right. tough year. <clears throat> tough year. And yeah. so, you know, if you think back to the NASDAQ back in 2002, when it dropped so much from the tech bubble, it took mm -hmm. like 
13 years for it to recover. Yeah, I think it was 15 yeah. to start. You yeah. don't want to wait 13 or 15 years to make some changes. But, no. you know, we, we don't know when things are going to recover, but it really is, you know, which one's going to recover faster. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it should be kind of a parallel move. You know, you're moving from something that's down into a portfolio that's down. Um, so there's, in my mind, there's no better time to get diversified yes. than the present. Yeah. And including in a down market, you know, because you don't know how things are going to recover. You want to make sure you're well positioned for recovery. And oftentimes in your in your 401k, you don't have all the tools to really get proper diversification. Yep. So, uh, you know, as self-serving as it sounds with us being advisors and, and you know, that being our business, um, still, I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, being diversified. You want to get as diversified as you can. So <clears throat> good question of the week. All right, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is the real estate paradox, what to do. Um, it's a very recent article out of Reuters um, on the 18th. And, John, I mean, people are asking the questions, you know, <clears throat> about selling their home, you know, and, and I, I'm hearing it from time to time here. I mean, saying things like, you know, I need to move due to a change, you know, I, have I totally missed the housing market, you know, mm -hmm. for selling my house? Um, are prices plunging? You know, can I even sell my house? <clears throat> and then, heaven forbid, if I have to get a new mortgage at today's rates. Um, so what do you do? Um, you know, that's the kind of questions we're hearing. And, yeah, you can certainly understand their concern. I mean, given what's happened over the past nine months in real estate and mortgage, the mortgage market, you know, a lot has certainly changed very quickly. I mean, U.S. existing home sales tumbled for the ninth month in a row in October as 30-year fixed-rate mortgage hit 20-year highs, <clears throat> um, over 7%, and the uh, uh, prices remained elevated, you know, and that pushed homeownership, you know, out of reach for a lot of Americans. Yeah, I mean, mortgage rates have, have jumped in response to the fa fastest interest rate hike since the 1980s, and it's, you know, driven by inflation. Um, it, the Federal Reserve um, most recently uh, unleashed a massive three-quarters of a percent rate hike. I think that's the third one in a row. Right. A lot of them. <clears throat> yeah. The 30-year mortgage is, uh, you know, breached 7% back in October. That's the first time since 2002. Man, that's a long time, long 20 years. Time. Um, and the, uh, the rate um, averaged about 6.6% in the latest week. And that was compared, Steve, to the rates as low as 2% in March. I mean, that is a massive increase. Existing home sales dropped by about 6% um, last month to about 4.4 million units. Um, and outside the plunge during the pandemic uh, in early 20, uh, 2020, this was the lowest level since 2011, uh, which was over 10 years ago. So economists expect sales, expected sales to drop pretty close to that amount. It's slightly better than forecast, but it's not off a cliff, which is right. kind of the surprising thing. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, I mean, and so, yeah, house resales, which account for a big chunk of home resale, <coughs> home sales in the U.S., slumped 28% um, year over year uh, in October. Um, so that's down a lot over the course of a year. So the report followed on the heels of news on Thursday that single-family home building permits for future construction tumbled to the lowest levels since May of 2020 um, during the you know pandemic. And housing inventories um, also declined last month. Um, existing home sales dropped sharply in all four regions of the country. So that's a lot of negative news about the housing market, right? So while all of this sounds terrible for selling your home, 
Um, there is some good news for someone looking to sell or relocate. You know, despite all this weakening demand and house supply, the housing supply actually remains, you know, considerably tight. Um, and so that kind of limits the slowdown in prices. In fact, the median existing home price still increased 6.6%, you know, last yeah. month, year over year to $379,000 in October. That's that's pretty, it's pretty strong. It's pretty remarkable yeah. that prices have held up that well, right? And I mean, you know, that marked 128 straight months, 128 straight months. That's a long time of year over year house price increases, the longest stretch on record. And there were 1.2 million <clears throat> previously owned homes on the market, down slightly 0.8% from September <clears throat> and a year ago. So, you know, the number of houses on the market is very similar to what it was a year ago, and prices are still going up, um, according to this. I mean, so that obviously is kind of where the paradox comes in. I mean, despite a significant slowdown in sales over the last nine months, prices have continued to remain uh, pretty high and rise, and inventories are low. Um, so while inventories have risen slightly over the past year, it's still well below normal, Um at October sales pace, it would be 3.3 months of inventory uh, that it would take to exhaust the current inventory, and that's up from 2.4 months a year ago. So it really hasn't gone up that much, um, and a four to seven month supply is viewed as a healthy and normal supply for houses. So we're still well below a normal inventory. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's just interesting. It's quite a paradox. It is. And, and properties that typically remained on the market for 21 days last month, that's up from 19 days in September. Uh, so a little, little bit slower. 64% of homes sold in October of 2022 were on the market for less than a month. Um, this is still a very short amount of time to sell a home. And it's certainly within the, his <clears throat> excuse me, the historic long-term average of 45 to 60 days to sell a home. So houses are, are still selling pretty quickly in the grand scheme of things. Prices are up. I mean, the activity is is down a little bit, the, the sales rate. But um, yeah, it is, it's, it is a paradox. So, yeah, so it's not a terrible time to sell a house for sure. I mean, first time buyers accounted for 28% of purchases down from 29% in September um, a year ago. And, you know, all cash sales made up about 26% of transactions up from 24% a year ago. So up slightly over the past year, but still people are obviously taking out mortgages. Um, you know, these numbers aren't terribly different from a year ago. So the market of who's buying uh, <clears throat> and how really hasn't changed that much over the past year. So the question many people have is, you know, um, does this current market, how does this affect me if I want to relocate to a different house or have to move due to a life change? And the simple answer to the question might be, it doesn't really affect your decision all that much. Um, you know, if you have a house to sell and cash to buy with, then it doesn't affect you at all, right? Yeah. I mean, because then you, it's a parallel move and you're paying all cash and the mortgages don't affect you. And, it's, and obviously, um, you know, those are some big ifs though. I mean, <clears throat> you know, for... A fourth of the buyers, that's actually the case. It doesn't affect them at all. It's actually a better time to buy and sell their house. Um, <clears throat> but in that case, it's it's actually a better market than it was six months ago because you have less competition. You actually have some time to inspect the house now and you know make an informed decision. Yeah, if you um, if you look at the housing market from from this this earlier this year, it's been insane. I mean, the number of offers that came in within hours. I mean, the asking price. 
um, was always, uh, you had to offer above that in order to even get in the conversation. And so it was just crazy. You were competing with investment companies, buying the properties. Um, so it, you know, right now is probably a better time to purchase. You're, you're not seeing as, as many offers, um, you know, and the prices are going up a little bit, but they're not like they were earlier in the year. Yeah, that's right. I mean, on the other hand, you know, if it's your first time home purchase, you know, you, you, um, um, you know, you have a large mortgage and, and one, on one that you're selling, um, you know, something like that. Then obviously the higher interest rates, they're going to be a challenge. They're going to be a significant factor. So, you know, of course, all the positive we just mentioned will still be there. Um, but so you have some time to make a smart decision, but you're going to have to navigate the financing issues and determine if the higher rates will become an insurmountable obstacle to moving. So, you know, if you're in that situation and having to decide how to cope with the higher rates for financing a move, you, you might first consider how long you might be in the house and how long, you know, rates may be at this elevated level. Fortunately, history shows that rates usually don't stay this high forever. In fact, I mean, most analysts seem to think rates will come back down within a few years after inflation gets under control and after we enter some kind of recession. So while there is a risk that it could last longer, it might be helpful to kind of think of this in as terms of a three-year problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as such, you may only be dealing with these high rates for a few years, and then you can refinance the home with lower rates. I mean, if so if you can handle higher rates, higher payments for a few years, then it, it might just make sense to, to, to go ahead and move given your current situation. Yeah, another option is maybe buy a smaller, cheaper home, um, and you kind of wait out the rates. Um, like you said, they... They potentially will drop. You could potentially refinance and, and upgrade. Um, you could also, you know, if you have some investments or some other things that you can sell, put a bigger down payment so you have a smaller mortgage. So right. you, do, you do have some different options. Um, certainly the rates are a hindrance for some people now. Between 6 and 7% makes a big difference on the monthly payment. It does, yeah. But there are some ways you can navigate that, you know. And so, but regardless of the challenges that might exist for funding a home purchase, there are some silver linings in today's housing markets, which makes selling your current house or and purchasing a new home more attractive than it was a year ago. I mean, this robust yet slower market is a big plus for making a smart decision that matches your needs. You have a larger inventory um, that can help you find the home that checks all your boxes. You know, you have a chance to get it inspected, avoid a big mistake while potentially getting a better deal on the purchase, you know, and, and allowing, uh, you know, to, <clears throat> to offer below the asking price of the house. So, you know, all the while, I mean, you have more time to secure the financing, pursue selling your current home before having to close and make a dash to compete with lots of other potential buyers. Um, so all this to say, while financing might be a challenge, there are still a lot of positives to buying a house or making a move in today's markets um, and, you know, being able to avoid the crazy COVID market that we were in the last two years. Yep. So, you know, it just it's very interesting with the housing market we're in today. I, I think it's it's still a pretty good market if you can, you know, cover the financing piece of it. And so, um, yeah, interesting situation. Yeah, good, good topic. All right, and that leads up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah, um, probably, probably the biggest question we get is, is am I ready to retire? Can I retire, right? right. I mean, that's a very frequent question. And um, so basically, you have to do a retirement plan, right? You have to um, kind of pull your resources together, Social Security. When are you going to take Social Security? 
Some people have pensions, um, which is a great benefit. Not everyone does, but that can be a piece of the puzzle. And then you have your investments and you kind of put together a, a view into the future. And, and we go out to age 95 um, as our target. You have to have some inflation adjustments in there. Um, but, you know, when the, based on our process that we use, we get a, a monthly after-tax number that we estimate. And if you can live on that, if that meets your budget, then that's a good sign that you can take the next step from a financial standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it really comes down to having a real retirement plan. Because um, if you have that, you know, it includes all of your income sources over time, includes your withdrawals, your, <clears throat> you know, your expenses, what you really need. And then it covers inflation. And that's a really key to planning it out over 20 years, you know, into retirement. So, you know, that's the only way to really answer that question with confidence of, you know, how much is enough for retirement and do you have enough? So we would encourage you to get a real retirement plan, do some wise planning for it. And uh, yeah, that will answer that question. So good, good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions or give us a call. You can reach us at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. Go Gamecocks. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.